Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They are all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. First of all, I want to apologize for the delay in uploading a new episode, but when we have calendar events, uh, I like to repost the calendar event episodes to get people to focus on those events, and then sometimes uh, I end up delaying a new episode. So that's why there's been a little bit of a gap. That being said, today I want to speak about bid'ah, and personally, I think that there probably is no more abused term or concept than the concept of bid'ah. I mean, I certainly was traumatized by that growing up in, in masjid life. And it took me a long time to really come to an understanding of of what it actually means and, and how most of what is said about bid'ah is actually not accurate. So this episode is meant hopefully to provide a framework that we can understand this concept. There are two... Uh, necessary discussion points to understand in order to understand what bid'ah means. I mean, bid'ah we know it means innovation and usually in the context of Islam we, we tend to refer to it as a negative thing. Uh, like you've invented something new in religion and that's bad. But before we get to that, I want to explain these two primary concepts first. The first concept is actually just straight from a hadith. The hadith is narrated by both Bukhari and Muslim. It is narrated by Our Lady Aisha, upon her be peace, who said that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Man Whoever invents something in this religion that is not from it, it is rejected. That's the key hadith we have to understand. That's the first principle. In other words, in this very short hadith, the Prophet, peace be upon him, lays out what is an innovation that would be rejected. It is an innovation that is not based on something in the religion. In other words, it is not based on one of the principles of religion. And that's why principles, first principles, is such a big part of my about this platform and a lot of what I talk about and write about. Because if we understand these first principles, you know, nine times out of ten we'll get things right and we'll be on the right path. So here the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying. If somebody invents something that's not based on a principle or violates an agreed-upon principle, that invention is going to be rejected. He just said flat out, it's rejected. Meaning that bid'ah would be rejected. The implied meaning of that hadith, of course, is if you invent something or you bring something new in the religion and it is based on a principle, then it will be accepted. So, for example, if I came and I said, you know what, uh, Zuhr and Asr prayer are during the working hours, and everyone's busy, so I'm just going to pray Dhuhr and Asr one rakah each. I mean, you know, something ludicrous like that. 
you would rightfully say, well, you can't do that because we know it's universally agreed that Dhuhr and Asr are each four rakas. So I therefore invented something that violates an agreed upon principle. But if I said, for example, let's the first Saturday of every month, let's fast as a community, you that would be accepted because fasting, uh, sunnah fast is accepted. It's actually a good thing to do. Uh, it's a good act of devotion. It's uh, physically healthy. There's nothing wrong with fasting in congregation. There's no prohibition of selecting a day uh, to fast. We pick the first Saturday of every month, so it's in everyone's schedule. It's a weekend, so people maybe can sleep in or they can stay up the night before, whatever the argument may be. But boom, there you go. That's accepted. No problem. Because it's based on a principle. It's based on something. And and that's really simple. That's really what bid'ah is about, whether it's accepted or it's not accepted. And that's why some of the early ulama, they understood bid'ah to be exactly that. It's either a good bid'ah or a bad bid'ah. It's either accepted because it is based on principles or it is rejected because it violates principle. Now, the second discussion point which is a little bit more intricate, is that when we talk about sharia actions, when we talk about the legal stuff in Islam, we're talking about action. We even say sharia actions. All of our actions that the sharia is going to give an opinion on go back to five rulings. Either something is obligatory, it is wajib, means you have to do it, or it is recommended, mandub, or it is permissible, mubah, or it is disliked, makruh, or it is forbidden, haram. Of those five, only the haram is haram. In other words, the haram is the one that we all have to stay away from. Because if we do it, we open ourselves up to sin, and therefore, God forbid, potentially we can be punished for that in the hereafter. But the first four are all from the realm of the doable. They have different levels of, of, of doing, but they're all doable. So when we have an act that's new, uh, an innovation, rather than simply say it's either good or bad in that simplistic black and white, you know, that, that binary way of thinking, the real way the jurist is going to opine is where does it fall in these five things. So therefore, there can be a bid'ah that's necessary, there can be a bid'ah that's recommended, there can be a bid'ah that's permissible, there can be a bid'ah that's disliked, and there can be a bid'ah that's forbidden. So when you think about it that way, based on the first discussion point, which is the hadith that's very clear, there's a lot of room for expression, there's a lot of room for new things in Islam. So bid'ah doesn't mean the suppression of the expression of our faith. Bid'ah is here, the concept of bid'ah rather is to guide us to not violate the first principles of the faith. So in the early uh, period of Islam, in the formative period of Islam, two uh, examples of a bid'ah, one that was necessary and, and one that became recommended, the first was the compiling of the Qur'an in one mushaf, in one book. Now at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, he did not tell the community to do that. After the Prophet, peace be upon him, passed, when it came to the Khalafa of Abu Bakr, and then after that, uh, of course, Omar was after him, but then the Khalafa of Sayyidina Uthman, uh, Allah be pleased with all of them, 
there was this initiative to compile all of the manuscripts, to bring all of the people that had memorized the Qur'an and to put it into one volume and in one script, one standardized script. Now, in the beginning, some of the companions were hesitant to do that because they said, well, the Prophet, peace be upon him, didn't tell us to do that. But when they thought about it and they discussed it, they realized that it's necessary. They realized that they had to do that because as Islam was spreading geographically and as non-Arabs now were becoming Muslims, there was the need to have a standard script, a standard way that we can all read, learn, memorize, and worship with the Qur'an. So we never think twice about that. Everyone has a Qur'an in their house or in their desk or in their car or you go to the store and you buy a Qur'an. You never think twice about it or you have an app. But that was or that is technically a bid'ah. It was an innovation, but it was an innovation that became necessary. Necessary to preserve the Qur'an, necessary to help the community. So it's definitely based on a principle. Now an early innovation that becomes recommended is the Taraweeh prayer in Ramadan. There was no con- congregational Taraweeh prayer in the month of Ramadan, but rather the Prophet, peace be upon him, would pray by himself. And then when during the caliphate of Sayyidina Umar, radiallahu anhu, he noticed all the people praying at night, extra prayers in Ramadan. So he brought them all together in the mosque to pray the 20 rakahs of the Taraweeh. So again, he's using his his ijtihad, he's using his insight, he's using his strategic thinking, he's using his understanding of first principles to say this would be a good thing. This is a communal month. This is a month we're all fasting, we all break our fast together, we all worship together. It would be a good idea to pray in congregation. And then, you know, it's a standard sunnah. All of the schools of Islamic law uphold that sunnah, and we do that without without flinching, without even assuming or understanding the background. But technically it's a bid'ah. Technically it's something that was innovated, but it was innovated based on the first principles. And then you can take that so on and so forth. Now, the reason that's important for us to discuss, well, one, for personal reasons, I wanted myself to understand that because everything seemed to be bid'ah and haram when I was growing up. So I wanted to break out of that because intuitively that didn't make sense. But other than the personal reason why I wanted to put this material together, the reason that's important is we need to also recognize that Islam allows for the expression of our faith. So we have the Qur'an, we have the Sunnah. Enshrined in that is or are our first principles, our, our principles of understanding, our principles of interpretation, all the things that we've been talking about throughout this podcast and on the platform. But there is a way in which we enact all of those things. There's a way in which we express that. There's a way in which we practice that. So in other words, there's what's in the books, and then there's real-life application. And Islam upholds that real-life application. Sometimes we need to innovate, we need to iterate, we need to modify certain things to facilitate our practice of Islam. How do we do that? We go back to that first hadith that we began with in Bukhari and Muslim. As long as what we're innovating or modifying or iterating is based on a principle, then we accept it, then it's acceptable. So there's a lot of room for innovation. There's a lot, a lot of room for nuance. There's a lot of room for spiritual and cultural expressions of the faith because the faith has to be practiced in culture, in time, across different cultures, across different language groups, across different socioeconomic backgrounds, etc., etc. 
So you find all of these different pockets of Muslim populations, whether they be majority Muslim populations, minority Muslim populations throughout the Muslim world or throughout the world in general. And they all have their own way of expressing certain things. And those expressions are part of our faith. That's what that hadith is saying. Because the implied meaning of the hadith, again to repeat, is if something is innovated and it is based on a principle, then it is accepted. So let's say in our town, uh, we have a big ceremony at the end of each lunar month. Uh, and we go to like some mountainside somewhere to sight the new moon. And we all go together and we make a big hoopla about it. And we have a big celebration. And, and you know, we bring out all the kids and we have all these sweets. And we just make a, and we make a thing about it. Twelve times a year we go out and do that. Well, you know, sighting the new moon for the month. Somebody's got to do that. It's a communal obligation. Especially when it comes to Ramadan, you know, we definitely need to know when Ramadan is going to start and we definitely need to know when Ramadan is going to end because of the Eid and all of that. So there is a principle there that, that makes sense to do that. Now, there's nothing that says make a big hoopla and make a big party out of it. That's technically an innovation, but it's a way that we educate the kids about the lunar calendar. It's a way that we revive and keep to the sunnah of sighting the new moon. And I'm just making this up. So that would be something that's accepted. So a lot of times when we read in our history books and when we read about practices of other people, especially, I found this personally, especially when you read about the history of old Muslim minority communities. So Muslim communities that go back centuries but have always been minority communities, you find a lot of these cultural expressions. And if you travel throughout the world and you come across different Muslim communities, you'll find that all the time. So rather than jump and say, oh, that's bid'ah, that's haram, because here when, when somebody jumps and says, oh, that's bid'ah, really what they're, what they're implying is that, that that's haram, it's bad. So rather than say that, it's incumbent upon us to understand the background of that. Where is that coming from? And then you find out that there's... A hadith, you know, it might not be the strongest hadith, but there's some kind of reference, there's some kind of reason why they're doing that. A lot of, and I talk about this in some of the uh, episodes dealing with the special calendar events, a lot of our foods that come culturally, that are seasonal, come from this sp uh, cultural expression of celebrating certain holidays. So in... Uh, Egypt, the country of my of my family, uh, during the time of the the Maulid, the birth of the Prophet peace be upon him, we have the the Maulid sweets, halautul Mulid, we say, and it's very common. Everyone has it, and it's so common that when you say it, you might not stop to reflect what that word actually means. But you know that there's this is a seasonal sweet. Why do they have sweets at the time of the Maulid? Because remembering the Prophet, peace be upon him, is a sweet thing. Literally, that's what it means. It's something that's sweet. It's something that's happy. It's something that's joyous. And because we're so happy, the way that the people of Medina were happy when the Prophet Sassam migrated to them, and the way that we're happy that we, we all have a claim to the Prophet, peace be upon him, that he guided us, and all of those wonderful things related to, to him, peace be upon him, we celebrate that, and we celebrate it with something sweet. I mean, obviously you're not going to celebrate it with something sour, but you're going to celebrate it with something sweet. So that becomes a cultural expression. Being happy with the Prophet, peace be upon him, is part of our faith. That's the principle. It's an obligation to love him. 
it's an obligation to remember him, uh, to do the salawat. All of, so there are several principles. This becomes a manifestation of that principle. So is that innovation based on something or not based on something? It's definitely based on something very, very orthodox in the faith. Okay, so then that becomes just a cultural accept, expression and it, it is accepted, not denied. So one of the things I like to do is always point that out during the holiday times, whatever the, you know, New Year's, whether it's, uh, or, or when I say holidays, I don't always mean celebration, but holy days, whether it's New Year's or Ashura or the, the month of Safar or the Mawlid and Rabi al-Awwal or whatever the case may be, you'll always find his, throughout the Muslim world, not every single culture, but many, many cultures, you'll find an expression, an expression of lights, of celebration, of colors, of foods, all of that's innovation that's accepted because that's how you express those principles now you can't follow islam by upholding those principles intellectually but those principles are you know this is a faith this is not like a philosophy so because it's a faith it needs to be practiced if islam was just a philosophy it's just like an opinion that i hold in my head and, and that's about it but this is not a philosophy this is a faith and the faith requires expressions of faith devotion of faith Acts of faith. So there you go. You're going to act it. And it's not robotic. But there are expressions that can be negative innovations without doubt. And that's why we have other hadith that, that warn us. Uh, and that's sort of what I want to say towards the end of this of this episode. Is when, when people talk about bid'ah, usually the hadith that they think of is the hadith that we, we cite when we begin the Friday sermon. Not all the time, but it's part of the sunnah introduction of the, sunnah, of the, of the sermon. That the worst of uh, issues are newly invented issues. إِنَّ شَرِّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا And every newly invented issue is misguidance. And every misguidance is in the hellfire. Now, the... The difficulty with understanding that hadith is the word that is used by the Prophet, peace be upon him, is every. Every newly invented matter is a bid'ah. And every uh, innovation, every bid'ah is misguidance. And every misguidance is in the hellfire. So when somebody hears that hadith and the Prophet, peace be upon him, over and over uses the word every, one comes away if you don't understand how the interpretive methodology of Islam works you come away thinking that means every single thing that's newly invented any type of bid'ah is haram and all the stuff that we just said for the last 10-15 minutes is not true and of course that's an incorrect understanding why is that an incorrect understanding because the word every does not necessarily mean every single one for example if uh, we threw a party and uh, the part like an event and we think that the event was successful and we're we're talking you know somebody asks us how did the party go I said oh everyone had a good time now that doesn't necessarily mean that every single individual person we stood at the door as they left and we we gave them you know a survey to fill out and we we can prove statistically that every single individual person was happy but it's an expression meaning most people were happy. And as a matter of fact, the, the, that usage of the word every exists also in the Qur'an. Uh, that, that 
when not every verse in which the word every means every single one. And that is one of the areas of discussion in usul al-fiqh, in the interpretive uh, tradition of uh, uh, science of, of legal interpretation. Of course, I don't want to get into that now because it's too technical. But when the Prophet, peace be upon him, says that, we know for a fact that he does not mean every single innovation no matter what, precisely because we began this episode with the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, that whoever invents something in the religion that is not based from the religion, it is rejected. Therefore, we know that if we invent something and it is based on a principle, it is accepted. So when we put those two hadith together, we understand that there is room for this type of innovation, given all of the conditions that we mentioned previously. So, that's how we should be thinking about innovation and uh, slash bid'ah. We should be free and liberated to express our faith, to practice our faith, even, should I dare say, in some cases, uh, innovate ways of practicing and expressing our faith that are healthy, that make our faith more firm. There's nothing wrong with that. If anything, that's quite natural. And it is the natural way of of human nature that that at, at different times in different places with different people and on, in different circumstances the way we express the way we celebrate the way we reflect is going to be different because the world around us changes as well what holds us all together are those first principles it always goes back to the first principles the first principles the first principles i'll leave it there and i'll talk to you soon take care <laughs>